So we've um, been in the uh, Goodness of God series for most of this year. Uh, at the start of the year, we were looking at the goodness of God in the Old Testament. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the goodness of God in the New Testament in the person of Jesus. And so what we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Steve looked at the parable of the prodigal son, and we saw how the, the goodness of God is seen in the heart of the Father, that uh, God is good for those who've made wrong choices. And last week, Zane, Pastor Zane, looked at the account of the woman at the well, and we were reminded of how God is good for those who have battled life, that we are fully known and we are still fully loved as well. And today we are looking at the story of blind Bartimaeus from Mark chapter 10. And what we'll be looking at today is how the goodness of God is seen in how Jesus interacts with hurting people, that God is good for those who have been afflicted. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to bring your Bibles uh, week after week. Bring them along to church. Uh, even though we do put them up on the screen, the, the verses, it's good to have your own Bible. So if I can ask you to turn to Mark 10. Um, and you, If you bring your Bible along and the sermon's boring, well, you can always just look through the maps at the end, can't you? You know, just to keep yourself entertained. Um, so as you're finding Mark 10... Um, I'm actually really uh, glad to be able to be preaching uh, on this passage in Mark today because the Gospel of Mark is one that I've been reading ever since I was very young. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. Would you agree that kids have it so easy these days? You know, Zane's giving kids a lolly from his pocket, you know, just for answering one question, you know, in Sunday school, and, and the answer is always Jesus. You know, it's so easy. But back in my day, I remember when I was only 10, I was in, involved, um, the pastor thought it would be a good idea for me to be involved in an inter-church Sunday school um, competition, and so I was literally given one month to have to memorize all of Mark, chapter 1 to 5. And so... Well, then I guess I'll walk out of here today and someone will say, well, back in my day, you know, we had to memorize all of the Old Testament and all we got was a stale piece of bread and a glass of water. <laughs> so, oh well. But as you read through Mark, I love the Gospel of Mark, you get the strong sense that Jesus isn't just a man. He's never portrayed as just a man. You're not very far into it. You're just in chapter 1 and already you see that he has power over the spiritual realm. Uh, he has power over uh, sickness, uh, over nature. And so he's never portrayed as a man, but as the Son of God in a man's body. So hopefully you've found Mark chapter 10 by now. And as, um, just opening it up myself, as we look back to our verse 32 there, uh, we see that Jesus is on his last trip to Jerusalem. That this is a trip uh, that is going to end in certain death for him. And he's committed to this task. He's got purpose with this. And the disciples can see that something significant is going on. It says they were following behind and they were astonished and afraid. And as he's on this last journey, he's about 30 kilometers away from Jerusalem at Jericho, and he's interrupted by somebody, an outcast of society. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And because we get to see Jesus' reaction to this interruption that he has, the account of blind Bartimaeus. And it's a reminder to us of God's heart for people, that he cares for those who are afflicted, he cares for those who are hurting and struggling. In Mark, we don't see a lot of mighty people come to Jesus, but we do see a lot of nobodies, a lot of invisible people, a lot of 
are hurting people, struggling people, people which are not really much position or importance, and they show genuine faith in Jesus, and they find acceptance and favor with God in that. And so we're going to be reading from verse 46, and there's two main characters here. There's the blind man, and then we meet the Savior. So we'll start firstly with the blind man, and we're reading from verse 46. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So as Jesus is on his last journey back to Jerusalem... We see a large crowd is with him, a great crowd, and it's a combination of people who have seen him do many miracles uh, on his journey, and there'll be also lots of other people who are kind of streaming down from the north of Israel, uh, heading to Jerusalem because they want to celebrate the Passover. So there'll be a, lot, a, a real mix in this particular crowd. And we find this particular story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's an important story that we're looking at today. And it focuses on a blind beggar called Bartimaeus. So blindness is his problem. That's what's made him a beggar. He's sitting by the side of the road begging because that's where the people are. We don't know what made him blind, but we do know that in that culture that blind people were pretty much reduced to begging because in their theology, if you were blind, it meant that you were cursed by God. We see that in other passages as well. Like in John 9, for example, there's a story of a man who was born blind and Jesus' own disciples say, so who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? Because obviously somebody sinned. Cause and effect, that's why he's blind, because God is punishing him. That was the understanding of the people. And so here we are in Mark 10, and we see a, a blind beggar by the side of the road and Clearly someone has sinned here. Uh, he's begging for kindness from people just so that he can eat. But just think about this whole mindset. If it's true that God punishes people for a sin in our life and causes them, causes them to be blind, what a law-based approach to life and to God that is, isn't it? Such a law-based approach. You'd never know when you've stepped out of line and God's just going to come down and hit you or something like that. And we see this uh, kind of mindset out in the wide world. If you do good, you'll be blessed. If you do bad, you'll be cursed. It's almost like a karma kind of a mindset. We see that out in the world. But what's surprising to me is that sometimes you see that mindset in the church as well. And something bad happens in a person's life or their family, and we say, what did I do to deserve this? This law-based mindset. But you need to know God doesn't work that way. He's not law-based in the way he deals with us. He's grace-based. We had that reminded to us by Nick this morning, didn't we, in Romans 5, that while we were still enemies of God, he reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. God is grace-based in the way he deals with us. He is fundamentally for us and not against us. And that's so, so important to have the right understanding of God. That's why it's been so important for us to be looking at the goodness of God right throughout this year. We want you to understand what God is really like. And so the, the blind man is called Bartimaeus. It's even interesting, why do we have his name? This apparent nobody, this beggar, why do we have his name? 
It's very possible that he was a well-known person in the early church, and that's why we have his name here, why Mark uh, included him, telling this conversion story of someone who was well-known in the early church. Because really, he's at the bottom of the social order. He's underneath um, all the peasants and the poor people, um, and it's really such a rebuke against religion, isn't it? It's such a rebuke against that spiritual elitism that Jesus would save somebody uh, who is such an outcast and rejected like this man. So the crowd's going by, and Bartimaeus asks and finds out what's actually going on, that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He must have recognized that there was this brief little window of opportunity he had before the parade would go by, and he may never get that opportunity again. In fact, he wouldn't have got this opportunity again because Jesus didn't pass this way again past Jericho. This is the last time that he's going past. And so Bartimaeus begins to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David. It says there that he's, he's calling out, he's crying out, but the word which is used here is much stronger. It's basically the word used to scream out. He's at the top of his lungs yelling out, Jesus, son of David. He's not holding back here. It's used elsewhere in the scripture, in Mark 5, to, to speak of demon-possessed people in the way that they would scream out. It's also used in Revelation 12, this word, to speak about a woman crying out in labor with her labor pains. And so Bartimaeus is screaming out in anguish and desperation here. And so he shouts out, Jesus. That's a name that everybody knew. That was the name Jesus was given at birth, Yeshua. Jesus means the Lord is my salvation. And that's what Jesus was going to do. He was going to save his people from their sins. So Bartimaeus calls out Jesus, and he also calls out son of David. So that's a, a messianic term. That's the term which was used, was going to be used for God's promised Messiah, who was going to be coming and saving the people. It's promised deliver, deliverer. And so this Messiah was going to be a son of David or coming from David's line, from his family, from his ancestry. And Jesus, as you read through the, the Gospels, he's got the genealogies there. He's like the great, 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 great grandson of David. Uh, and so he comes from that line. He was a son of David. And Bartimaeus just starts calling. He's yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's nothing else he can do. What else is he going to do? He can't ask the crowd for help. They're not going to help him. And he can't try to battle his way through the crowd because he can't see. So all he can do is try and bypass the crowd and get Jesus' attention directly if there's going to be any hope of getting to Jesus. We see this kind of attitude with other people in the Gospels as well, don't we? We think about the paralyzed man who was brought to Jesus and literally lowered down through the roof. You know, they destroyed the roof so they could lower him down in front of Jesus, kind of skipping the queue of all the other crowd which was around because desperate to be able to get to Jesus. And so we have the same here with Bartimaeus. He's just trying to, to get around the crowd and get Jesus' attention directly. And what's he asking for? Here's his request. He says, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus knows he's not deserving of anything. He doesn't have any claim on Jesus. He would have understood the theology of the people. And who knows, maybe he thought of himself that way too. Maybe he thought, I am cursed by being blind. 
He knows he needs mercy. That's what we can see there. And that's what he asks Jesus for. But look at how he's treated by others in the society. Reading from verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They're forcefully telling him to shut up. You know, he's just an invisible person. He's just a nuisance. You're using up precious air, Bartimaeus. Just be quiet. You know, we're not not concerned about you. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. It reminds me of earlier in the same chapter. If you cast your eye back to verse 13 here of chapter 10, if you've got your Bible there, it says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, from what these parents knew of Jesus, it would have been fine for them to bring their children so that he could pray over them and bless them. But Jesus' disciples, who had been with him for so long, rebuked them and were trying to stop them from doing that. Uh, It's so weird. They'd been with him for some time, but they still didn't understand him. Maybe that back there they thought that Jesus was just too important to to be interrupted by these unimportant people, the little children, perhaps. Maybe they thought that Jesus wouldn't care about them because they didn't care about them, but they just didn't understand what Jesus was like. And Jesus said, no, don't. Stop the children from coming to me, and he invited the children to come so he could bless them. And we see the same thing going on here with the crowd. They're trying to tell Bartimaeus to shut up. They don't care about a blind beggar. They just thought he was forgotten by God. They just assumed that Jesus would agree with them. But the funny thing is, is Bartimaeus just keeps shouting even louder. There's only really one way to understand this man, Bartimaeus. He's heard some things about the Messiah. And whatever it is that he's heard about Jesus, he believes those things. uh, Enough to believe that he's the Messiah. And he he understands his own condition. He's an outcast. He's a sinner. And it's hammered home to him day after day by all the people who pass by him. He couldn't see Jesus, but he knew about him. He knew who he was, and he believed that Jesus would be a merciful Messiah. It's very much a picture like we see in Luke 18, you know, with the tax collector in the temple, you know, kind of beating his breast, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's that same kind of an idea here. Bartimaeus is just trusting in a simple prayer. So that's the the beggar that we see by the side of the road. Secondly, we see the Saviour, and the story turns here from verse 49. And the focus goes from the blind beggar to Jesus. Reading from verse 49, it says... Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. So first of all, we see there, it says, Jesus stopped. And if you've ever read the Bible, you don't get very far before you see just the compassion and love that God has for people. And as we read about the life of Jesus Christ. You see his compassion and his love at every turn. And when he heard Bartimaeus calling out, he stopped there in his tracks with all this great crowd around him wanting to see what Jesus was going to do next or maybe trying to get close to him. He just stops there in his tracks and says, call him here. Don't silence him. Call him here. Bring him to me. Uh, when we um, come to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the story is, is included there three times in each one of those, each one of them has a slightly different nuance. And in Luke 18, where we read about the same story, 
in verse 40, it puts it like this. That Jesus stopped and he ordered that the man be brought to him. He ordered it. He wasn't going happy to let the crowd just be telling him to, he had to be quiet, but he ordered that he be brought to him. And so here we see in Mark, they call out to Bartimaeus, cheer up, on your feet, they've changed their tune. You know, he's calling you, let's go. Jesus' response is so different to the crowd. It's so different to the world. So different even to his disciples. He has this genuine love and care and it changes their own attitude at that moment. And so we see Bartimaeus instantly responding, jumping to his feet, throwing off his cloak and, and makes his way to Jesus. Probably someone had to help him to find Jesus. And we see from verse 51... Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. When you're reading the Bible, so often, it's it's important to read it in context, not just a, a little paragraph in isolation, but to see where it fits into the whole. And I really think here that um, with this uh, particular saying from Jesus here, what do you want me to do for you, that this is really connected to the chunk which comes before it. If we look back again to verse 32, Jesus has just told his disciples, okay, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, I am going to be mistreated, I'll be, I'll be arrested, I'll be mistreated, and I'll be put to death, but I'll rise again. He lays this out for them, as he's done earlier on in Mark as well a couple of times. And in verse 35, we see James and John come to Jesus in private. And they say, we, they say to him, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, okay, well, what do you want me to do for you? And here's their reply. If you can read it yourself. They basically say, oh, we want you to elevate us. We want to be able to sit on one hand, you know, your right hand and your left hand when you're in heavenly glory. We want everyone to honor us. We want to be elevated. We want it to be honored in that way. And Jesus says to them, no. Uh, After all the time they've spent with him, it must have been so frustrating for Jesus to be dealing with disciples that right there, you know, after what could have been years of ministry, um, as we read through Matthew, Mark and Luke, it could only have been one year that they were together, but we know that from John's Gospel, there's three times that he goes up to Jerusalem for the Passover, so the three years of ministry. So after three years, they still don't get him. You know, and they can ask a question like that after all, all that he's just said. And so Jesus then has to go through the values of the kingdom again. You can read this through in the passage just before this one on blind Bartimaeus. And he says, yes, those in authority in the world like to lord it over other people. Yes, we see that all the time. They like to make their authority known. But it's not to be like that with you, James and John. We don't do things that way in the kingdom of God. Because if you want to be great in God's kingdom then you need to aim to be the servant of all. Then he goes on to say, because even I, the Son of Man, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He's pleading with his disciples here, trying to get this into their head. And now here we are, face to face with Bartimaeus. And Jesus asked the same question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, is taking the role of a servant now, talking to a beggar, saying, what can I do for you? Rather than being served, he's offering to serve this beggar. And what we see from Bartimaeus is what we often see from the outcasts and the rejected 
who engage with Jesus. He has a completely different attitude to James and John. He knows he deserves nothing. He's not laying a claim on anything with Jesus, but he expresses his heart's desire. He wants to see. And verse 52 goes on to say, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is so much more than just a healing. Because when Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well, he uses a verb that we, we get the word to save. So he could have used another word. There's another word to be healed. Uh, your faith has healed you. But literally this reads, your faith has saved you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Um, and we know that uh, that includes more than just the healing. We see the healing. He, he can see, he can follow Jesus along the road. But there's also salvation here. And when we're reading in Luke 18, it says that not just that he followed Jesus, but that he was, he was worshipping Jesus, praising him as he was going along the road. And so he's, he's changed now from being this beggar by the side of the road to being a worshipper, praising God. Matthew has two people, uh, Bartimaeus and a friend, and both of them are calling out to Jesus. So uh, in Matthew's story, it says they followed so Bartimaeus and his friend both follow a Jesus here, um, praising God. So just imagine that for a moment. You've got Bartimaeus, who's an outcast by the side of the road, now has received his sight. He's full of joy, worshipping and praising God, and he's part of this large crowd now with Jesus as they're on their way up to Jerusalem. Imagine what this would have been like for him. It must have been absolutely stunning for him. As he goes from being um, someone who's an outcast someone who's thought of as being cursed uh, to now being healed. He can see his sight and uh, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. He's in this uh, salvation relationship now with Jesus. And now he's, he's walking with Jesus up the, up the mountain range to the city of Jerusalem at the top of the range there, at the top of the mountain. And he gets there, sees the city and sees the triumphal entry. Jesus going in there with the thousands of people all cheering for Jesus as they recognize the Messiah coming into the city. Imagine what that would have been like for Bartimaeus now. No longer blind Bartimaeus, but a disciple of Bartimaeus as part of this crowd. I imagine he's there with Jesus throughout the week. He doesn't have anywhere else to go. He's probably in the temple seeing Jesus teaching uh, and all that went on. And he would have been there after the resurrection as well. And it's very likely that he would have been part of the early church too. Uh, that's why I think that he's named, because people knew him. People in the early church, he could very well have been part of the 120 people in that upper room at Pentecost. He'd endured this life of being an outcast, but now he was on the inside. Isn't this a picture of every person, really, before they meet Jesus? Hopeless, sitting by the side of the road of life, if by some chance the healer and the saviour might come passing by them. That's why we're here today, you and me. We are here for followers of Jesus because we've been approached by Jesus at some point in our journey of life, along the road in our lives. We were in our blindness. We were in desperation. And he passed by us. Our hearts were awakened. We called out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he heard our cry. Maybe you're here today and 
You want to know that transformation. You haven't experienced that yet. You want to follow the Saviour, but you haven't made that step yet. You could do that today. We'd love to pray with you and uh, to help you. But as um, Nick said during communion, it starts with us recognising our need. We, we need him to save us. We can't do it ourselves. We need his grace. We can't live that good enough life that we think we could maybe try and live good enough to avoid the bad things of the world. We can't live that good enough life. We need to put our trust in him and who he is and call upon him and accept his forgiveness and be saved. All this is possible because Jesus went all the way to Jerusalem. He went all the way to the cross and out the other side through that empty tomb. Here's a question that I would love for us to consider this morning. Would it have been possible for Bartimaeus to have experienced the goodness of God and still to have remained blind? Could that have been possible? Because maybe we think that if God is good, that healing is the only possible pathway. That for God to be good, then healing the illness or solving the problem or the affliction that would be the, the, the only evidence of it, if God is good. But what if Bartimaeus remained blind? Could he still have experienced God's goodness in that state? It's an important question. I think, yes, he could have. He could still have experienced the goodness of God. Because just because we bring our affliction to Jesus, it doesn't mean that he's going to always solve that for us the way that we expect or the way that we want. Think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. If you're taking notes, you could write that down. He had a thorn in the flesh, something which was limiting him. He brings it to Jesus, pleads with him three times, he says. And Jesus says, no, because I want my strength, my grace to be made perfect in your weakness. Think of John the Baptist, who was imprisoned. He's on death row. He sends some of his disciples to Jesus to try and explain what's going on, help him to understand it, and Jesus doesn't solve it for him. We, uh, sometimes the goodness of God is seen in a situation outside of what maybe the person was seeking. The paralyzed man who was lowered down through the roof. Uh, when he's, when, it says, when Jesus saw his faith, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't jump to healing straight there. The bigger problem was he needed to be reconciled with God. He saw his faith and declared that he was forgiven, he was saved. The bigger problem was solved. God is good to the afflicted. Now we might, you and I might say in our life, if, if maybe we have a bit of that law mindset going on, we might say, I have been so blessed in my life because this thing, X, whatever it is, hasn't happened in my life. I'm so blessed because that hasn't happened. God has been so good to me because I haven't had to go through X, whatever that is. That's great. If that's you, I'm happy for you. But what about all the people listening here today who have had that thing happen to them in their life? And their faith has had to take that journey through that thing rather than despite it. Are they not blessed? Or are they less blessed by God than you are? There would be plenty of people here today who would testify of God's blessings which have come in their life, which have come through the trials. Actually, there's probably far more genuine testimonies of God's goodness and his blessing which we experience through the midst of things that are difficult. God is good to the afflicted. And Jesus heard Bartimaeus' cry. He stopped and he called him to come. And he also invites you and I to trust in God's goodness and come to him as well with whatever might be afflicting us. 
Matthew 12 says this in verse 20. This is something which is taken from Isaiah 42. This kind of foretelling, this prophecy of the Messiah who was to come and his character, his nature. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. This is what the coming Messiah, the son of David, was going to be like. This is what his character and his heart was going to be like, his attitude to people. Because people can be a bit like these things. We can be a bit like the bruised reed. Even a perfect reed is frail and fragile, just like you and me. We are each more weak and helpless than we realize. We all have limits. And life does a pretty good job of bruising us, doesn't it? Or even breaking us. And when we get broken and worn out, the world is ready to just discard us and to move on, replace us. We can be a bit like a smoldering wick, a wick which has lost the flame and it's just smoking now. We might have burned brightly once, but maybe the heat's gone. The passion's running low. We can't give off light like we once did. We're burdened by circumstances. We're suffering. And we're on the verge of going out. And our world regards people like that as just being worthless. Why? Because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and patience to make anything out of a bruised reed or a smoking wick. It seems so much easier to not even waste your time with them. But what is Jesus' approach to people like that? Well, if you come to him in your weakness, even if you feel like you're bruised and broken or you're down to your last flicker, if that's you, then you are exactly the kind of person that he wants to engage with. Jesus genuinely cares for the last, the least, and the lost. That's his heart. Now, we would love to believe that, but it seems that there's something in our hearts which struggles to, to apprehend that, to, to receive that. We would love we, that, but it's almost like we're unwilling to hope for such a God as that. And so we're so guarded. We feel like it's presumptuous to believe that God would receive us like that when we don't bring anything to the table. We don't contribute anything. We find it hard to accept such love. But you need to know today that Jesus Christ never ignores a cry coming out of a heart which believes in him, who's putting their faith in him. Even though you mightn't feel like you're bringing anything, he never ignores that cry. And desperate sinners who know they're deserving of nothing, they'll always gain a hearing with him. Yes, Jesus does have the power to heal afflictions, to heal uh, problems in our life or illnesses, but far more importantly, he has the power to save sinners and to change us into people who are worshipping and praising and have this different whole focus on life. Maybe in your life or the life of a loved one, there has been some affliction that has happened and you wonder, is God truly good? Well, this story of Bartimaeus today in Mark 10, I encourage you to read it again during the week. It reminds us that we can bring our afflictions to him. If you're just really battling this morning, and maybe something that you need to hear is this word which was given to Bartimaeus. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. He's calling you. I wonder if today you'd be willing to bring that thing, that affliction, that's sort of in the forefront of your mind, to him this morning. 
and start writing a whole new chapter of your life with him as part of that. Why don't we just take a moment, um, if God has spoken to you about something, I encourage you just to uh, just be alone with the Lord in your thoughts and just to, to pray and just say whatever you need to say to him. Let's just take a few moments and then I'll close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning as we've been able to just look at your word and to consider again your heart for people, to see your character, Lord, expressed through your son, Jesus. Thank you for this truth that for each of us, Lord, who know you, Lord, that you have taken us, like David in Psalm 40, you've taken us, pulled us up out of the miry clay and put our feet on a rock and put a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And Lord, we're so grateful and thankful. Lord, help us to be quick, Lord, to make you part of challenges and troubles in our life. Lord, thank you for this reminder that, that, that we, you never ignore that cry of faith, Lord, as, as we look to you and have trust in who you are, Lord, your character and your goodness. Lord, I just want to pray for anyone here who's just really battling today. May you reveal yourself to them in a fresh way this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.